Welcome back. This is The Dash, episode two, Faith and Focus. I'm Trey Gamage, and my special guest today is Terrence Moore, national sports columnist and journalist. He's wrote for CNN, MSNBC, ESPN Outside the Lines, MLB.com. He's covered 30 Super Bowls, and he's a mentor of mine. We share an alumni university in the illustrious Miami, Ohio. And today we really get into what faith and focus means for Terrence and how his work is a vehicle for his purpose, which is giving back to young people. So my top takeaways for the day are one, faith and focus, two, everything is the same, and three, deal with the problem and not the symptoms. Enjoy this show, Terrence Moore, Faith and Focus. This is The Dash. I'm in good shape then. Well, I'm a national sports columnist and a sports commentator. But what I do is contract myself out to various entities, CNN, MSNBC, ESPN Outside the Lines, or locally for the ABC affiliate on Channel 2 where I do a segment on Sunday nights. And the thing that's interesting is all these things are live. So there's a certain mindset that you got to have. From a national uh, columnist standpoint, uh, I write for sportsonearth.com and I write for mlb.com, which is, in a nutshell... That's what I do. So from the first time I met you, you made it apparent that you've been doing this all your life. What was it about journalism? Well, I'll give you the short version of how I got started. I was a sophomore in high school. My vision at that time was to be starting center fielder for the Cincinnati Reds or a middle linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals or the the Green Bay Packers or the Chicago Bears. So so I'm sitting there a sophomore year and the sports editor at the Milwaukee Journal came in and started talking to my English class about sports writing. And it's like, huh. I didn't know you could do that. And from that point on, that's where my focus was. And everything in my life just kind of like went toward that. And uh, I've always enjoyed writing and I've always enjoyed sports. And I always enjoyed talking to people and interviewing people. And it was a perfect mix. Would you would you say that this is your purpose? Because I, I think I agree with you. I didn't realize that public speaking and, and hosting a podcast and things were within the realm of possibility. But Burke, I really feel that it's it's it is a calling for me and something that I was that I'm supposed to be doing. Does it feel like it's a purpose for you, Trey? That, that's a very good question. I used to think for years that was was my calling, mm-hmm. that was my passion, and then uh, something came to me. It was a revelation from God. I would say about 30 years ago longer than you've been alive, I guess, yeah. that yeah. my calling was not that. That sports writing is something that I do for mm-hmm. a living, something I enjoy very much. But my calling is to help young people. That's what it is. And and, and it's a, that's why I'm a Sunday school teacher. I've been for the last 24, 25 years. Teach at Miami of Ohio University, where we both graduated from. Teach a, a journalism course there every fall. I do lectures there during the uh, spring semester. And then I just help uh, young folks along the way. Mm. And, uh, and, and that is something that, that God has told me that I, that I am meant to do. And the sports writing part of it and the sports commentary part of it is just a vehicle to draw mm. those people mm. to me. 
that's big you know I think in, in my youth I'm starting to see with people that what you do is not always how you need to define your success if you will and I put that in quotations but so your, your purpose is more so in what you're able to do from your work your your work as a sports journalist allows that's, you to help exactly people right. in the real world so what is it that, that about giving back that's important for you I, I have that on here you skip forward like a good journalist would <laughs> You give back to myself, to Heath Harding, to the Sunday schools. What is it that's so important to you about giving back? And what is it that you're trying to share with us young people? You know, and I, I want to tell you something. I thought about this. And the reason I thought about this and what you're saying in, in the past is because I have so many people who ask me that. And I have so many people who tell me, well, I'm not good, not me, but they'll say about themselves that I'm not good talking to people. I'm not good working with people. I'm not good doing this. And it occurred to me something that I always knew, something that I don't really think about. Mm-hmm. It's something that I enjoy so much. It's not one of those type of things where I'm consciously thinking that I'm helping this person, helping that person. It's just a part of me. Okay. It's something that I naturally do. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost a, as natural for me as breathing. Mm. You know, and it's and it's. I guess I get enjoyment out, out of it. And the reason I say I guess is not even something I even think about in those terms. It's, right. not, it's like I have to do it, and it, it's not uh, it's not drudgery to me. It's, it's not an effort. It's not work. It's just a part of what I'm about. It's literally a purpose. There that's, is. That's exactly mm, right. Mm. So, do you see what would be your return on investment if there is one when you do these things? Because I, I've benefited greatly from our probably close to five years now of a of sure. mentorship and relationship. What, what kind of return do you see when you get to help people? What does it mean to you when you get to make an impact on somebody? One, one of the biggest enjoyments I get, and, and and this just came, I'll give you an example that just recently happened. And this was about a couple of weeks ago. There, uh, There's a group of uh, four young guys that I work with at Georgia State. And uh, there's, uh, there's two juniors, two seniors, and uh, one of them, um, Rashad called me about four or five years ago out of Clear Blue Sky, wanted to be a journalist and wanted to talk to me about being a journalist. And I said, sure. I said, well, when do you want to get together? It's like, well, are you free tomorrow? Mm. And I like that. Mm. And just the fact that he was enthusiastic about it, I mean, that was just such a, it was great. And then when I met him, it was just like the way you and I talk. Right. Like he's he's listening, to, listening to me. He's actually listening. You know, making good eye contact. I like that. Then all of a sudden, Rashad led me to another person that wanted to be a journalist. And then another person, another person. So I bring up this particular incident last week. It was like the four of us were sitting there in a room just talking you know, about different things, journalism. And it just occurred to me in a macro sense that these four young kids, I call them kids, they were hanging on my every single mm. word. They were asking questions. They, they got it. And from that moment... For the next two or three days or after that, I was on this high, natural high, just mm. thinking back to that moment. There's nothing monetary about it, totally that, that's, that's been, and I benefited from that. I, matter of fact, I got more enjoyment out of that mm-hmm. than, and I enjoy teaching at Miami University, and they pay me good money for that. Wow. I got more enjoyment out of that, that one little session with those kids, because they were, were appreciative, and I could just tell by the way they responded. Mm-hmm. So that's what gives me enjoyment. Were you the same kind of child or student growing up? Is that you think that you see in yourself? I would say yes. I can remember things that an older person, primarily older people, you get wisdom from. Right. Matter of fact, and I'll correct that, is older people and younger people. And I always believe that you should have relationships with people at all decades of your life mm. because you learn from all the way along, along the way. 
the people that I learn the least from are people my own age. And that's why I don't really have as many friends my own age. Most of our friends are, are younger, like your age, or older. <laughs> right. Because I learn more from that, that, that group of people. So yeah, it's, one, it's, one, it's, a, it's a constant learning process. And I actually forgot what your question was, <laughs> but I was just thinking about that. And I had to, just had to get that out about how you're learning from both mm. older and younger. The answer tied in appropriately. I asked if you were the same way as a younger person. As a, oh as yeah, and, and, but here's, I want to give you a specific example. I'm glad you brought that <clears> up here. I was going off on a tangent. Plus growing up in a really nice family environment because being African-American, growing up in South Bend, Indiana, my mom and dad each had nine brothers and sisters. Mm. We all lived in kind of the same area in South Bend. And for the older people, they can relate to this. We were like the black version of the Waltons. <laughs> and that's an old TV show. Really homey type atmosphere and wholesome. And like my grandmother used to say, uh, they talk about one, they talk about the other. What does that mean to you? They're both the same. Everything is the same. Um, in, in a sense, I think you, you talk about this piece right here and you flip that on his head and you've got the same thing on the other end. Well, we could work with that, but what she, what she meant more specifically was that if you're around a person that gossip, then they're going to talk about you. Mm. So stay away from gossips. Mm. Little words of wisdom. Uh, Hal McCoy, who actually worked for Dayton Daily News, and I was uh, out at a, at a, a ball game, and I was, I was having a trouble finding pregame notes before the game, you know, just little odds and ends. That was my assignment, to write about you know notes on the, before the Cincinnati Reds game. And I was frantic because I couldn't find notes. And I'm looking around like for these different notes and different items. And, and then Hal McCoy comes over and says, what's, what's wrong? And I told him what was wrong. And then he looks at me and he puts his hand around my shoulder and he says, everything's a note. Mm. And he walked away. I didn't get it then, but as time went on, it's like, you know what? Everything's a note. So yes, to answer your question, so there's little phrases and uh, then a situation will happen and like, wham, right. I remember. And they just punch you. I, I, yes. And you've done some of those things for me as well, and we'll, we'll get to one of those in a minute. In that answer, I'm, I'm noticing mindset. That's something that I've been researching myself and studying yes. lady, lately. And Carol Dweck is a famous psychologist. She wrote a book about mindset and a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And what you're displaying, I'm not going to go into too much detail there, but what you're displaying is a is a growth mindset because you're willing to learn, you're willing to take in these things from people. What kind of vision did you have and what kind of mindset did you have to have coming out of school to get to where you were then and where you are now? And one of the things I'm always telling my kids, and also not only Sunday school, but just the young people I mentor, which is quite a bit, is that it all starts with the mind. And the one thing that you can't do is let somebody get to your mind mm. or, or affect it. Likewise, it's all about what you put into your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about this earlier. No one can make you angry. It's a choice. Exactly. Nobody can make you happy. Nobody can make you joyful. I mean, you're the one that, that, that's doing that. So it's all about what you're all about. Yeah. So it starts with a mindset. And the other thing that it starts with, focus. What your focus is, is and what kind of faith you have. Therefore, every Sunday school, I have these little cards I made out, and I probably gave you one, that's a, that, and they say faith and focus. Yeah. And this is something that I discovered that God revealed to me decades ago. No one told me about this. Mm -hmm. But everything in life, whether you're playing football, whether you're like trying to be a student, whether you're trying to be a sports writer, whether you're a police officer or a president of the United States, faith and focus. So at Miami that I wanted to be a sports writer. Faith and focus. People would come to, to Oxford, Ohio. That's back when we had a football team. <laughs> <laughs> and one stretch, we were 32-1-1. One and, one. 
and uh, finished what 15th, 12th, and 10th in the final Associated Press poll. Beat Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina in consecutive years, and these were big schools. So as a result, all these writers from out of town would come to Oxford, Ohio, from Sports Illustrated, New York Times, LA Times. You know, when they came to town, I would go up to them and ask them their advice about mm-hmm. my stories. How can I get better? And at the same time, I was doing something else. What, what, what was I doing at the same time? Learning. And Learning. making relationships. That's exactly. Making contacts. Okay. So I had enough faith in myself that if I told this to them, that more often than not, they would be cooperative. There were some people that weren't. Right. Famously weren't. Always. But I couldn't make that, you know, as a, as a, as a, hinder, as a stumbling block along the way. Then I had, 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 I had to keep the focus of where I wanted to go. Even though I knew I wanted to be a journalist, I majored in economics. So I had two things I had to, had to do. Number one, I had to graduate from Miami with the toughest field that you can take, which is economics. Mm-hmm. And I also had to do that while working for the student newspaper, which was very tough back then because that was like a full-time job. And were you the first black writer? Yes. I was the first uh, black writer in history of the Miami student newspaper, which is the oldest college newspaper in the country. Mm. Way back when, about faith and focus. Because if I didn't have that, being the first in those situations, and we're talking about the 70s and the 80s in these cases where uh, it wasn't as liberal as it is now. I mean, mm-hmm. racism and those type of things are kind of coming back in vogue. But you can imagine what it was like 30, 40 years ago. And me being the first, I really had to have faith and focus to be able to survive a lot of these situations, uh, philosophies in life. That, again, it goes back to your mental frame of right. mind. Okay. And, and from there, coming out of school, you, you spoke to me in probably one of our earliest conversations about how you applied for the jobs at the Cincinnati Inquirer while your constituents applied for lesser jobs, for lack of a better word. That has to do with mindset. And can you talk about why you chose to do that and how that impacted you? One of the things I learned a long time ago, and, and among other, other things, uh, I had uh, great parents. Is our parents were never wrong. Of course, they were sometimes wrong, but I'm just saying that to, for effect. And as time went on, it's just amazing how brilliant they, they were. And my mom's still living, and uh, we, we asked her about this, the same thing, too. So I very much internalized and lived what my parents taught us. Mm-hmm. And my dad was an AT&T supervisor, but I'm bringing that up because one of the things that our parents taught us ever since we were little was never say you can't do something. And now that they say that, and now that they tell us that, they meant that. Mm. Okay? Never say that you're inferior to anybody else. That was always drummed into us. So as a result, that's why I started developing this philosophy, don't settle. Don't go into a situation looking that uh, that you want to be lesser than somebody else. And the specific incident, incidents you're talking about Back in 1978, when I was getting ready to graduate, the job market in, in, in the media is very much like it is now. Maybe even worse. Very tough to get a job. So most of my colleagues at the Miami Student Newspaper, which one of the top newspapers in the country, and we had a history of uh, people going on doing great things. The mindset for a lot of my colleagues was, well, I'm going to apply to these, these small newspapers and work my way up. And my philosophy was, I'm not going to do it, as one of our past presidents used to say. So I'm aiming big. I'm going toward the uh, toward the big papers. I had a lot of rejections back then, tons mm-hmm. of them. Matter of fact, I had so many. I used to, Hepburn Hall was where I say that. I used to take the, my rejection letters and put them on the wall. But you know what? At the end of my senior year, I had three full-time job offers, wow. which was unheard of then and unheard of now. The Milwaukee Journal, the Cincinnati Inquirer, which I ended up taking and the Washington Post. So and it all goes, goes back to mindset. And so, so in that, I'm hearing, what kind of work does it take to get started 
in that and what what kind of effort do you have to put in to maintain um, the success that you've had over all these years? You know, one, one of the biggest thrills is either 1A, 1B that I ever had. And it came last summer here in Atlanta where my parents came to visit and we're driving down the street and my, my dad's, uh, I'm driving, my dad's on the passenger side, my mom's in the back seat. And my dad says to me, he said that you do more things talking to me than anybody I've ever seen and you're effective in everything that you mm-hmm. do. And my d- mom in the back seat said, well, you know what that's so, don't you? And my dad said, yeah, I, I, I know. So I told my dad, I said, well, just humor me. Okay, tell, tell me, why do you think that I'm so successful at uh, uh, being at CNN and uh, MSNBC and uh, teaching at Miami University? Where I'm, so why, give me your reason as to why I'm so successful doing those things. And my dad said, well, it comes down to three things. He says, number one, you're highly passionate in whatever you do. Mm. He says, number two, you're highly focused in everything you do. He says, and number three, you're highly organized in everything you do. And I told my dad, I said, you got it. I said, but you missed one thing. He said, what's that? I said, everything's the same. And my, my, my dad said, well, I'm not quite understanding that. My mom in the back seat said, oh, I get it. <laughs> and just in, in briefly, what I mean by everything's the same is a lot of the people go into situations in, in life, they'll give a, a certain effort doing this, mm-hmm. a different effort doing that, somewhat of an effort doing whatever. My philosophy is to give the same effort in everything I do, even on this this broadcast here, and use the same approach. Mm-hmm. And that approach goes back to what my dad said. said. That's and that, that's the the one point, probably the most memorable quote and the most internalized quote that I've had from you, Terry. Is everything is the same because it's so true. Let's go ahead and stay there for a minute and talk about everything being the same. Can you give me an example? Yeah, you know, and, and this is something you can relate to having been a, a, a football uh, player at the major college uh, uh, program. One of my pet peeves in life in the nearly 40 years of being a sports journalist is I cannot understand and never have been able to understand why athletes aren't the most successful people mm. on the face of the earth on a consistent basis. Mm. I've never been able to understand that. Why people who are highly interested in sports, people who are, are deep sports fans, aren't highly uh, successful. And that's because the epitome of what I'm talking about, everything's the same, applies to sports. Mm. Think of what my dad told me in the car. To be a a successful sports athlete in any uh, form of athletes or what have you, you gotta be highly passionate. Yeah. You gotta be highly focused. You gotta be highly organized. And then throwing my thing, everything's the same. It's it's all the same. Mm. So how can you not take that and not apply it to the rest of your life? And I'll tell you why. Because, number one, people don't realize what I just said. They don't realize everything's the same. Yeah. So you have these athletes, once they leave the playing field, even the great ones, it's like mm-hmm. they end up with uh, uh, a former NFL player killing two people in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. It's because when, when you go from that, you're not having the same discipline and the same mindset off the field or whatever other thing. I just read a, a story uh, a few minutes ago about this uh, Arkansas uh, football player. They're, they're down at a bowl game and they're given four, $450 to go into this department store to buy whatever they want for $450. And this knucklehead ends up getting arrested for shoplifting wow. because the $450 wasn't enough. So he's stuffing extra... So it's, it's just stuff like that. Hmm. And this is one of the top tight ends in the country. This wow. guy would have went, uh, was a six-rated tight end in, in, the, in the upcoming NFL draft, okay? 
So that's what it comes down to, mm-hmm. is, is that, uh, that to me, if you look at sports, anybody that loves sports, the same thing that you're doing to be, become a great athlete, and I was a very good athlete in, in high school. I played middle linebacker. I was like, I played linebacker. I wasn't as tall as you were. And then I played baseball. And I, and I always tell people, here it is. Uh, so I graduated from high school in 74. So what is that? I'm trying to do quick math. That's 40, 43 years ago for the most part. I'm still that middle linebacker mm. from James mm. Madison High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. I like that. And, and to even to add how, how you telling me that affected me, you know, playing football at Miami, it was a struggle for three of the four years. But I understood the work that I had to do to finally be successful as a senior. And it was when I studied abroad my final semester that I realized that I could transition my, my success and my prowess and my understanding and passion for football into something else that I wanted to do, which is my purpose in life. And Today, I know that's helping other people find their purpose. So I was able to apply the work, the, the film study of football to watching speeches on, on YouTube and in the practice of going and filming myself. I film myself as I record speeches and things and just practicing and working and working and working on that craft. So I, I, I definitely see how everything is the same. Can I, can, can I ask you a quick purpose. question? Yes, I know sir. you're supposed to be asking me questions. <laughs> but so explain to me something right there. Why is it your fellow athletes have such a problem understanding that? Great question. I don't know that. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people, personally, a lot of my teammates came in with a one-track mind. When when I came to school, I had a good home background, and, and a lot of people do. But I knew that football wouldn't last forever anyway. And honestly, the NFL was secondary to me. I knew what this was getting from me. I think a lot of people push that dream and stay only on football and they, they aren't able to apply the fact that everything is the same and that something ends. So we get guys that are pushing two and three and four and five, six years for the NFL, which is great. I definitely believe if, if that's something that you believe you should do, exhaust that opportunity until it's done. But once it is done, and you have to be honest with yourself about when it is done, that you have to be able to apply the discipline the passion, the toughness, the faith that you apply to the sport, which are common pillars in any Division One program, applying it to something that you care passionately about. And I think it's the same with, with you and your work is as a sports journalist and columnist, but your, your passion and your purpose is in helping other people. Oh, sure. I don't think, first of all, I don't think we reflect enough about what our life is and what things mean. And then I don't think that we truly search for a purpose. You know, I I like to say that your mind is like a garden and the weeds are the negative thoughts that grow by themselves. And most people never tend to their own personal garden. But to have the positive seeds and to have the success and to translate success from one area to another, we have to plant more seeds intentionally. And I don't think that a lot of people plant those seeds or know how to plant those seeds or know that they're supposed to plant those seeds. So that's actually, you know, that's what we're trying to do here on this Dash podcast is just to introduce one of my coaches who I love to hate and hate to love, um, Coach Peterson. He used to always tell us, you don't know what you don't know. And that never made sense. Of course, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I don't know. But as you hear it, as you see it, as it's displayed, you start to discover what you don't know and be able to humble yourself. And I think that's a part of it too, is looking in the mirror and and pointing the thumb at myself and realizing that it's my fault that I'm where I'm at right now. And I I just think a lot of people don't do that. Well, I think you bring up some good points. And and then let's go here for a second. And of course, I'm I'm certainly very biased with what I'm about to say, being a Christian. And that is the key to this, as is the key to so much, is the spiritual. Mm -hmm. I didn't say the religious, I said the spiritual, Mm because there's a difference. I mean, 
No, we religiously, I mean, I religiously uh, love uh, the greens, turnip greens, collard greens, <laughs> mustard greens. It does not matter, okay? I religiously like that, okay? Uh, we religiously get up in the morning and take a shower, at least most of us. You know, that sort of thing. Spirituality is a whole different thing, okay? And that's your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so everything I just said and talked about here, the spiritual nature nature is the ultimate of what, what uh, we're talking about. And I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. Okay, and let's go back with a quick review. From a spiritual standpoint, you got to be passionate. Mm -hmm. God talks about that, about us being on fire for the Lord. And he talks about in, in the book of Revelation about the different churches. You know, some were lukewarm and some just were, weren't into the, the gospel or just different individuals. So you got to be passionate as a Christian. Right. No question about that. Okay, you got to be organized as a Christian. Okay, we see that in First Corinthians Chapter 14, I believe, verse 40. But let, let everything be done in decency and in, in order. Mm. Okay? That's all in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you got to have, have the organization. You got to be focused. We see that focusing all the way through the Bible. One example of that, when Jesus is walking on water and, and tells Peter to come out and join him. So all of a sudden, Peter stops looking at, at Jesus. And what, what does Peter do? He sinks. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Almost drowns. Okay, so that's all there. And then everything's the same. And if you study all 66 books, Colossians 3.23, which we may have talked about that before. Whatever you do, do so heartily as unto God and not unto man. Mm. What is that saying? Everything's the same. Mm. <laughs> that's, a nice, that's a nice summary of everything. And, and I'm loving the positivity here. We're going to close out soon. But before that, I do want to touch on some of the struggles that you faced or some of the, the pains that you may have faced and how I want to continue it in a positive light because as, as I've learned, everything is the same. And you win or you learn, essentially. And, and I've had my own failures in life from, from failing drug tests to not getting jobs to, to all kinds of things. And looking back, I see how those things helped me, guide me towards my purpose. What are one or two of the things that happened to you or around you or that you remember as being an area that, that got you really down in a place that you hadn't been um, and you had to call on some of that faith and focus and to stay up where you are right now. I'm going to tell you a story that I told my Sunday school teacher, Sunday school kids about a couple of months ago and they had never told anybody the story before. And so I'm just telling what all these people out there, mm -hmm. the same story. <laughs> but when I was in grade school, I was a total nerd. People can't believe that. I mean, I was nerd. I was unathletic. I was. I was just. I mean, I was bookworm. And my brothers. I got two brothers. He's kidding me all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. I got forty-two first cousins. Okay, we're all about the same age. They, you know, because I, I would go and I, I would do stuff like I would go uh, get an encyclopedia. And I don't know how many people out there know what an encyclopedia is anymore. <laughs> but I would get an encyclopedia and start at the letter D and just sit in my room and just read from the letter D and just read everything. A real bookworm. Exactly. They all thought I was very weird. This is in Southman, Indiana. Literally, Coach was our dad. So me and my, uh, my middle brother, we're 11 months apart, so we always were in the same grade together. So we're on the same Little League team. Mm -hmm. And my youngest brother had just gotten into the Little League too. So there was a point where my dad coached all three of us well, out of all these players on the Little League team, guess who was the worst player on the team? You. That's right. It wasn't even close. Uh, I'm not sure you're that familiar with baseball. What position does the worst player Ooh, play? Third base or left field? Right field. Right field. Because the ball never comes to you in right field. I batted last. 
I was Charlie Brown. Okay. You know, so I was just like, oh, dude, I can't wait to see the new one. So I, you know, the people used to tease me all the time about how bad it was. And, and I just remember after this one particular conversation, I was sitting in my room reading my encyclopedia. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to show them. Mm. I, I didn't tell anybody. This is what I had in my own mind. This is at 11 years old, getting ready to turn 12. So I went down to the local Kmart. So I bought a wiffle ball bat, a wiffle ball, and I got some rope. Mm. So back in these days, you had what were called called clotheslines outside. Didn't have dryers, okay? <laughs> these clotheslines, you had these poles, and you had this these rope, this rope that stretched across from one pole to the other, and your parents or your mom, they would hang your clothes out there to dry, okay? So we had these clotheslines. So what I did was, and now this is during the winter time, I went out to the clothesline and I put the put the string on the on the pole, and then I, I put the wiffle ball at the end of the pole. And I would swing the ball and the and the and the rope so that it would come back to me with the plastic bat so I can just mm. hit it. What do you think my brothers said when they saw me out there doing that? They probably laughed at you. Oh yeah. I, I mean I was you know, they're laughing, giggling and stuff like that. I just did this religiously all through through the wintertime. Wow. Nobody told me to do it. I just did it. Nobody knew what I was doing. They had no idea. Okay? Then the baseball season came around. And just to make a long, long story short, at the end of the baseball season, well, well, by the middle of the baseball season, I went from playing right field to center field, which is next to shortstop, the top position that, that your, mm. your players play. I went from batting last to batting first. Wow. And then I won the Little League Award for the entire Little League for the most improved player. Mm. The trophy I got, and I'll show it to you uh, later on, and uh, we were just getting ready to move to Cincinnati. Okay? I said, the banquet, I get this trophy for being the most improved player. And on the metal plate... They misspelled my name. They spelled it T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E instead of T-E-R-E-N-C-E. So uh, when my mom pointed out to the to to the director of the Little League, he said, oh, wait, wait a minute, we'll, we'll get it fixed before you guys move to Cincinnati. We left, and I and I, and I just uh, went back and told the guy, I said, don't worry about it. I, I like my trophy just like this. He said, you mean with your name misspelled? I said, no, I'm not even going to put the plate in there. Mm. So that was, what, 50-something years ago. So to this day... I still have that trophy up there wow. on my, my, my trophy case up there. I've won a lot of awards since then. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite trophy. Wow. And the reason I didn't want my name spelled correctly, I wanted to remember mm. that just the way it was. It, it was some poetic justice yeah. that my name was misspelled. So when you see this trophy, it's just a little plastic trophy with an uh, anonymous uh, statue of a little figure on the top <laughs> with nameless. Wow. That's a that's a great story, first of all, and I think that's amazing that you can can take what seems for some people maybe a small pain, but to focus, dedicate yourself, and make that the same. I think that that is an epitome of what we've been talking about, uh, and it's something that I can relate to as well. After my junior year of high school, I earned an all conference award, all conference honorable mention, and I kind of wasn't very happy about it because I knew I didn't have the best season. And when I told my dad, he confirmed it. He said, "Yeah, Trey, I thought you sucked." Uh, <laughs> but from from that point, that hurt me. It hurt me to know that I received an award that I did not deserve, and it hurt me to know that that I that I sucked. And I know that my father wasn't telling me that you know to belittle me but because he knew I could do better and so for those next six months I, I turned myself in from a 175 pound weakling to a 205 pound machine I gained 30 pounds in six months I ate six times a day and I, I saw a quote that said, be the hardest working person in the weight room today and that was the first time I took a quote seriously and internalized it and from there it's been able to to string me along and, and get me 
my Division One scholarship and continue to push me towards today. So, and, and even adding to that, there was a woman um, this past year, I had the opportunity to compete in Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking. And after I won this, the state round of this competition, I got an email from a 70-year-old white woman who had beat cancer twice. And she was mean as ever. It, it said something about how it comes to a surprise that I won that event because I wasn't the top three speaker in her mind. So I need to get ready because I'm going into shark-infested waters. <laughs> But I did start decide to work with her still as, as weird as that was to hear from me and as opposite as it could be a young 23-year-old a Midwestern black guy and this 70-year-old white woman uh, from South Carolina. But as we were working, I was writing and my writing was horrible. She would tear it all the way up, just demolish everything that I wrote. And she said, Trey, your story is good, but what's the story you're afraid to tell? Um, and I think that you sharing that story, that's my way of saying thank you there to share that story, one that you haven't told before and, and to share that pain, because I think that's a place that a lot of people aren't willing to go to acknowledge or recognize their pain. But I think that's one of the only ways to get past them. Thank you for sharing that story and thank you for the interview as well. And one thing I want to add to that, that last point you just named, and for the people out there, one of the things you got to do is you have to be honest with yourself. Mm. You've got to see. We spend too much time dealing with symptoms instead not of the, the problem. problem. Sometimes you got got a cough, you got a sneeze. It's not a it's not a cold. Could be something else. Okay, might be allergies. Could be something else. You never know. Don't deal with symptoms. Mm. Go with the problem. Go to the root of the problem, and then solve the problem. And another thing that that I learned, and I'm still learning, is that. We gotta get out of this mindset that it's about us. And that's episode two. Faith and Focus with Terrence Moore. Thank you for listening. Again, I'm Trey Gammage, and I enjoyed having this conversation. I enjoyed putting this podcast on. Be sure to check out TreyGammage.com to get the full show notes of the day with the top takeaways, quotes, and side notes. Coming up next week is Ms. Josephine Lee, a, a woman that has really had a quick impact in my life. I met her at 2016 World Championship of Public Speaking where she took third place. She's also a business owner. She owns a ballet shoe fitting company that is one of the largest and the only like hers in the nation. Recently she was on Lifetime's Fashion Startup and was awarded an investment to help scale her business nationally. So stay tuned next week. Again, the shows come out every Friday, 6 a.m. This is the best.